Episode 106, Ted Klopp, Ken Dworsnik, recovering from our trips, which I know we're going to have some stories with that. I have a few, and I imagine you do as well. I took in the fine city. We're on remote. It's like we're getting paid to do this. We're on remote. I went to New York City. Yeah. And you went to the French city, Detroit. Yeah, right. We were we were in uh, Dearborn for the most part, but yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was a good weekend. I don't know what did you do in New York City? A lot, yeah, a lot, a lot of steps. Took in the sights. I have one really good story. So about that in uh, out and about. Yes, yes, we will. Well, before I forget, I need to I need to certainly thank some people. So one oh six. Our fan favorites for this episode, Jersey Wears, Larry Nance Jr. Yeah. Baker Mayfield. Oh, thank you. The guy who I can never say his name right, Jeremiah Usukormora. I I think I had to pretend as though I said that correctly. J-O-K. Ken Keltner, Larry Doby, Rocky Calavito. That's a pretty good list. That is a pretty good list. The Rock is on there. That's correct. The Rock. I think uh, 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 Rocky Calavito ever um, when uh, when uh, you know he was get, coming up to bat. Do you ever think you, you think he ever walked up to the plate and said, "Do you smell what the Rock is cooking?" If he did, he'd be before his time. That well, that'd be really impressive. That would be. It'd really- be hilarious if he stole it from him too. You know what I mean? That'd be great. If the, if that's the, what I current mean. rock stole it from the the old rock. That'd yeah. be great. Um, well, I'll save my uh, descriptions of our uh, trip for the most part for um, our uh, out and about segment, but I will share a quick proud dad moment in uh, the uh, first game that uh, my middle son had. He was the goalie, and he had the game of a lifetime. Oh, cool. He made, well, the coach said, they didn't keep track. The coach said he had to have made 40 or 50 saves. Oh, my gosh. So we lost the game three to one. He let in two in the third period. I can't blame him. I mean, when you're peppered with that many shots, then they got an empty netter. But uh, he was the the bomber of the game. We do that. And um, apparently... After the game, one of the parents from the other team was uh, remarking to one of our parents who relayed this to me, said, my gosh, where did you guys get that goalie? He's unbelievable. That's the best goalie I've ever seen, which was nice. And without batting an eye, the uh, parent from our team looked at the guy and said, oh, his mother's very athletic. (laughs) (laughs) Now, for those who, who, who don't know my wife, she didn't know where the gym was at her high school for a uh, a long period of time when she was going to school there. So that's uh, hilarious. Yeah, I think her biggest athletic achievement is going up and down the steps uh, <laughs> on a daily basis. You know, <laughs> once again, luckily she doesn't listen to this podcast. Doesn't listen, yeah. <laughs> so, although I did share that with her, and she laughed for a good five minutes. So, so how many games did you play during this tournament? Um. Well, I didn't you play personally, anything, but your God, but son. My middle son played uh, three on Saturday and three on Sunday, and my oh my gosh, my oldest son played two each day. So okay. you normally play two. My middle son is on two different teams. He was able to make 
what are the games for the second team each day? You know, we weren't sure he'd be able to make any of them, but as it turned yeah. out, like the one game, the team, one team was playing right after the other on Saturday, so that worked out. And then on Sunday, the first game, there was an hour in between the two games, so we had just enough time to get him changed and get him onto the other game. So wow, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, two of the teams, one that my middle son plays for, one that my older son plays for, both. Didn't didn't win the tournament, but won the consolation game. So nothing wrong with that. Yeah, uh, two and two. That's great. It's good to when you travel that far. Not that that's a long way, but when you drive three hours, it's good to get a, a win or two. Hundred percent correct. That's yeah. nice. Feels like you're. It was worth the trip. That's absolutely. Good. Well, coming up on uh, this week's show, uh, we are going to talk more about uh, where we were out and about this week. We have a world record you can sink your teeth into. We're going to explain in Overachievers. There's a little luck in our good news segment. In Klopp's Clips, another one bites the dust, gets play at a funeral. We'll explain. All that plus Cleveland sports, Cleveland history, and a lot more. And now, a woman's perspective. What did God say after creating man? I can do so much better. This has been A Woman's Perspective. Overachiever time. We have a jump roping dog. Hmm. Never thought I'd be saying that today. And his owner are a Guinness World Record holders together, Wolfgang Lornberger, which is a great name, of Germany is a dog trainer. He and his dog, Baloo, skipped rope 32 times in 30 seconds. Once again, 32 times in 30 seconds, Wow. Baloo and his owner jumped rope, earning the record for the most skips by a dog on hind legs in 30 seconds. I don't think we can compete with that one. We've had an opportunity to at least try those, but... I love my dog, and I don't. I don't think you have a dog at home. My dog is not jumping rope. I'll just leave it at that. Well, you know, um, I uh, I don't think I could jump rope thirty two times in thirty. That seconds. is actually something that didn't cross my mind. I, I'm not sure if I can I can go thirty two times without passing out. I'm not sure I could go two times, but that's now that's not the only overachiever we have. A man from the Czech Republic is also a record holder. Rene Richter appeared on an Italian TV show. And took the Guinness World Record for most drink cans ripped in half with teeth in one minute. Oh, my. He held the can with one hand and bit into it and ripped it with his teeth. He bit apart 36 aluminum cans in one minute for the record. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's really getting after it. Wonder what his dentist said about that afterwards. How do you how do you come up with that? You know, is that a drinking game that turns into a record? I don't know. Yeah, I've heard of the eye socket thing with the beer bottle. Oh, you know, God. people that have done that, but I've never heard of. Well, I've seen people rip the cans open with their teeth, but I've never heard it being a Guinness World Record. Well, well, now you know. I'm going to go for the Guinness World Record for uh, most hours slept consecutively. That's the record I want to hold. You deserve that. 
It's time to bring in our historian, our Cleveland history historian, John Grabowski. And John, we have a very interesting topic for you to talk about today. John Heisman, which many people don't know that his youth home is in Cleveland. Can you tell us a little bit about John Heisman and yeah, there's, there's what information? Yeah, well, well, it depends who gets the Heisman Trophy this year, right? <laughs> but, um, we can get to that, but the, seriously, Heisman was uh, born to German parents in uh, what is now, what was Ohio City in Cleveland in 1869. But he only stayed here for about a year. Uh, the family then moved to Titusville, Pennsylvania. And there's a story about his Cleveland connection that we'll get to later. But uh, from Pennsylvania, he eventually went to college. He attended Brown and and then uh, actually transferred to Pennsylvania. And he played football in the 1880s. This is a formative period of football. It's just when American football is evolving from sort of a rugby soccer type of game into the more organized mayhem that we see now. And uh, he became a coach uh, when he was at Oberlin. And, and then he coached at Oberlin. Uh, coached at Akron, which was Bucknell University at that time, uh, and then later at Auburn, Clemson, uh, and Washington, and Jefferson, and Rice. Uh, he became a noted coach. And, and by the turn of the 20th century, he was right up there with Amos Alonzo Stagg, uh, Pop Warner, and these other founders of modern football. And uh, so uh, he's really quite a figure in football. And uh, he basically introduced audible signals. Uh, he introduced a snap from uh, from to the quarterback. Uh, he also was one of the advocates for the forward pass. So you see him there really in, in creating the game of modern football. And he coached for most of his life. Uh, but coming back to Cleveland, I don't know if he ever came back to Cleveland. And the trophy that is named after him was from a New York club that he belonged to. And uh, they created, I believe, in 1934, the Heisman Trophy to go to the best collegiate football player in the nation. Um, he only, I guess, lived to see one person because I think he died the year after that. So, yeah, uh, but he's a big story in Cleveland. And there's a side story here, Ken, that's really kind of interesting because for many, many years in Cleveland, there was a big bronze marker, one of those uh, state markers outside of the Heisman House in Ohio City. I used to walk past that constantly. And then somebody did some sleuthing and they found out that the marker was in front of the wrong house. <laughs> I had no idea, really. Yeah, yeah. And and the whole thing falls on the fact that street house numbers changed over the years and they did the wrong calculation. So some amateur historian, a sleuth, figured out where the house was and they, they reinstalled the sign in front of the right house. So Cleveland, oh gosh. Cleveland claims John Heisman, and I guess we've got the right house mark now. But, you know, seriously, if we're looking at football, we're getting really close to the Super Bowl. And, you know, and and, and God knows what, you know, the, the finals can be for collegiate football. But you've got all that happening. And uh, and he's right in there in creating this modern game. Uh, and I, I think the fact that he was born here gives him credit, but he didn't really play football here. Yeah. <laughs> He was close. He was at Akron. He was at Oberlin. Um, he was all over the landscape, uh, but kind of an incredible guy. So I wonder if the uh, uh, if the Browns were in charge of putting that mark, installing that marker initially. Uh, you know, <laughs> just given their uh, well, we probably shouldn't. Uh, I, I'm not going to touch that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So John Heisman played and then coached collegiately. Never had any. Uh, d didn't do anything in professional football. His uh, claim to fame is in the uh, uh, so-called, and I guess at the time, the amateur level. 
the amateur, but but at the time he was there, pro football was secondary. And if you wanted to find the best football game in Cleveland in the 1930s, you'd go to the annual Case versus Western Reserve game. It drew huge clouds, crowds. Collegiate football was considered the best game. Uh, if you've ever seen the film Leatherheads about early pro football, I mean, this is a bunch of heavy dudes who were beating it out on the field. And, and so, you know, you're looking at Red Grange and other players who, you know, Grange would eventually go to the Chicago team, but uh, it was was collegiate football that was the high point. And it wasn't until after World War II that, that the pro game began to get roots and to take off where it is. So Heisman never saw the pro football game eclipse the collegiate football game. Yeah, or did he see the madness in collegiate football that evolved today? Yeah, I can only imagine how much money he'd be making in NIL right now, John. Let's oh, be gosh. honest. He was a very good football player from everything I've heard. Ooh. Yeah, he was a very, very good football player. Yeah, and the question, the question is a very good coach, too. And yeah. uh, if you look at coaches' salaries today in collegiate football, there's a ka-ching factor at a lot of those colleges. <laughs> that he, not Overland, of course, you know, and not University of Akron, but some of the colleges where he coached. So it's, uh, you know, I think this is something, you know, football has become the primary sport in the United States. It is, it is eclipsed baseball, uh, you know, and we've, I mentioned the, the Super Bowl, and, and that's the biggest TV program in the country for the season. It's become so huge. Unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's, it's become a money machine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, John, thank you so much for the information. I'm glad to hear they finally found the, the right house for John Heisman. That is a, that is good news as well. When was that? When did they do this? Do you remember? Oh, I think it was maybe about 10 years ago. I'd have to look it up. Ago. But it, 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 that marker sat there at the, the first site for a long, long time before somebody. And so they had to change the marker. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, John, as always, great information. We really appreciate the time as we look back to talk about John Heisman, who was born in Cleveland. Thanks, John. You're welcome. My pleasure, Chad. Ted, we're out and about, usually in Northeast Ohio, but you and I, were on location. It's like we're getting sponsored. I don't know who our sponsors could be, but it'd be wonderful. I was in New York City. I know you're going to talk about Detroit. You were in the uh, Dearborn area. So Awen, myself, and her stepsisters, we all got a trip from her mother for Christmas, and we met in New York City, which was very exciting. It's been a while since I've been there. Um, certainly many people understand what's in New York City and all that. We did all the touristy things. We went to the Statue of Liberty, went to the Empire State Building. We went to Times Square. <clears throat> Very fun. Two highlights. Yeah. We did go to a brewery. I know that's a huge shock for you. A place called Evil Twin. Very good. And then we went to a speakeasy, which was literally a normal speakeasy. Not that you can have a speakeasy that's unnormal, but this was very normal. It wasn't marked. We stood in line. The name of the speakeasy was called Attaboy, and they did not have a menu. You described to them what type of drink you like and what you, you know, what your flavors are, and then they made it. It was pretty cool. Your bill came on a piece of paper, handwritten, and it was it was very neat. We had a great time. Wow. A lot of great highlights of the trip. I'm not gonna bore you with that. But you want the funny stuff, so you're going to get it. Of course. So Times Square, as many people know, is just nuts. I mean, there's it's, cars and people and 
lots of light. We did see the Christmas tree being taken down, which was taken kind of down. Many people Most people that. enjoy seeing it go up or when it's right. Up. I saw it being taken down taken and then down. I also saw the ball at the top of one of the buildings that they have for New Year's. So that was. Oh, you were there before. OK. Oh, no, no. So we didn't see the ball drop. We just literally see, saw the ball. We're on top of the building when they when they do the drop. Um, <laughs> So, as you know, it's, you know, walking in New York City, if you can do that, that's great, just because it takes so long to get from one place to another by, you know, car because of the traffic. So we were walking in Times Square, previously went to the speakeasy and all that kind of stuff. So we decided we're going to step in a coffee shop. I'm not going to give the name of the coffee shop, but we went to a coffee shop, got something to drink, and we're going to use the restroom so we can finish walking the rest of Times Square. So... I've never experienced this before, and I'm not sure if you have. So this coffee shop stayed open till 10, mm -hmm. but they shut down the restrooms at 9. Oh. So myself and Awen's two stepsisters, we're in line, and the gentleman who's one of the employees comes behind us and just stands there, and people start to come up to get behind him. He goes, no, I, I'm shutting this restroom down. This is getting shut down after these three people are done. What? Okay. <clears throat> well, there was one gentleman. He did not like this. Yeah, didn't like this at all. So he opted to get very vocal, little aggressive, and just kept getting closer and closer to this man. So I used the restroom, and I was the last one to use this restroom, supposedly. So I get out, and both these guys are like nose to nose as I open the door. Ah, and of course, you know, being the middle-aged man that I am, I'm yes. not really into aggression. That's not really my forte and i just that looked at the thing. team i said i'm not sure what you two need to do but somebody has to move so i can leave the restroom i don't want to hang out there and then you guys could just talk about whatever you wanted to talk about so i slip out this guy slips behind me and goes in the restroom oh, the guy so shuts the door this is the guy who's trying to use the restroom and the employees like call the police call the police call the police so they called the police to get this man arrested for using the using the restroom <clears throat> that was the first. Did you hang out to see if the police came? No, I, I'm. I would be surprised. There's a lot of police that are walking around in Times Square, as you can imagine. So I imagine people just came, and the gentleman was probably just escorted out. I can't imagine he was arrested, but I, I it was all the. I, I can't imagine if I was a uh, police dispatcher and that call came in. I would probably respond with, I'm sorry, sir. We have better things to do. Well, I don't understand. That's like a safety issue, right? I mean, aren't you supposed to have the restrooms open for people? I, I mean, I don't know. I yeah, don't know I don't know what the rule is there, so, but that's... It was, it was, it was, my, it was very different. But very different. all in all, the trip was great. We had a great time. New York City is, is a wonderful place to be. I don't know if I want to live there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty, I mean, it's, it's busy. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it's, it's not... There's some areas that are super nice. There's some areas that are not, but it is, you know, you, if you want to be there, you better be ready to drive aggressively, <laughs> pay big money for stuff. And uh, yeah, there you go. Just don't get run over by a bike, a person or a car. So, okay. but other than all, all in all, it was, it was a great trip. We had a great time. So, well, it was my experience. Did you have any bathroom arrests while you were in Dearborn or anything? There like were no that? bathroom arrests. Uh, there was, so we played at, gosh, four or five different rinks. Uh, some of the nonsense would have been, now, uh, 
we had some of the best hot chocolate I've ever had. Wow. Best hot chocolate, hands down. Now, hot nice. chocolate in general at ice rinks is good because you're freezing your tukas off at most of them. They don't know how to keep the stands warm and the ice cold. And so you yeah. wind up. It's, it's frigid at some of these places. Um, so there was that. We had a um, we're, we're playing the game. And all of a sudden, this buzzer goes off, and we're like, we figured at first sounded like maybe it was the scoreboard horn, and it kept going off and on and off, on and off, and um, then I kind of thought, well, maybe it's the fire alarm. And I'm standing in the penalty box. I work the penalty box. So I'm standing next to the scoreboard guy. And he puts his hands up in the air like, I am not touching anything. And then he unplugs the scoreboard and gets the rink manager to come over. While it's unplugged, the buzzer goes off again. Mm. And so we're thinking, well, maybe it's an issue with the buzzer itself. And so then they came up with, you know, you got they, they they schedule these tournament games. This is like 15, 16 hours of games back to back to back. Right. So you can't right. you can't have any problems. So they decide this kid's gonna run the time on his phone and he'll call off the time and then he'll blow a whistle at the end of the period. Okay, you know, yep. whatever. We're just we're gonna play hockey. Okay, fine. And um so we start up again. It goes off again. <laughs> and we're like, what the, you know, you can't play when the buzzer keeps going off. And then the, finally the ring manager comes back. Someone apparently, you know, the, the, I fallen and I can't get up uh rope in the toilet. Yeah. Well, yes. somebody apparently pulled that thing and then didn't bother to tell anybody. And was just trying to get it to turn back oh. off. That's uh oh boy, that's a first for me. That so we so got the buzzer was going off because was someone, going off because of that. Because of that, something yes. in the toilet. Yes, we uh we have to <laughs> alert the entire rink. Someone is in the toilet, but holy cow, they were they didn't know where it was coming from. Do you do, how do you not have a different um? A yeah, it's got to be a different buzzer. Yeah, different buzzer. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't. Wow. I, I I don't know. Um, so that was interesting. And then my final piece would be um, we're at my middle son's game. The game is going on. And at one end of the rink, there's a team warming up outside the locker rooms. You know, they're doing their kicks and their whatever, calisthenics, whatever. And we hear this music. And it's while the game's going on. And we're like, what is that? And it's loud enough that we can hear it and it's kind of rap music and we're like what is that and we finally figure out us in the stands figure out it's um this team that's warming up they have their warm-up music blaring down at the end of the ring oh lovely extremely nice. disrespectful yep and so my my oldest son is sitting there with us and he's like daddy aren't you gonna say something you should tell somebody and i'm like bud that's the, the tournament needs to take care of itself. If they right. can't release that, that's on them. And that says something about the tournament. Well, 
Not accepting that for an answer and being the Sherlock Holmes that he is, my oldest son, 11 years old, marches down and takes a listen to the music in the area and comes back up and his jaw is on the floor. And he says, Daddy, there are F words. Okay. So I decided that that was... That was the, we crossed the line there. You know, you can't blare that kind of music. Yeah, that is, that is inappropriate. So yeah, then you and I, I walked sports out, days, we can't do walk, that. Walked out, found the uh, tournament uh, representative for the tournament, told her what was going on, and she wasn't sure what to do. And so I said, I don't know if I should be telling you or someone else. And she said, well, that's really an are arena issue. Go uh, over across the hall here and tell them. So I go across the lobby and there's a woman at a desk and I said, Hey, here's what's going on. And her eyes got really big and she said, I'll have the arena manager take care of it. And within about two minutes, there was no more music. Nice. Look so at you. As we were leaving, I made sure my oldest son was with me and I walked back over and I thanked them for taking care of that. I mean, that's just, this is, the oldest kids there are are high school sophomores. So the majority of the kids are elementary and middle school. That that's yeah. not acceptable. No, in all honesty, you know this. That's not acceptable really anywhere, unless that's your personal usage. I mean, you can't be blaring that type of stuff in an arena or anything like that. That's just you know that is not kosher, as they say, sir. So no, it is well, look not, at you. I, I'm gonna start nicknaming you the enforcer. Enforcer. Flop. Enforcer. Ted, we have some great news. Hmm. And we have a winner of the Wisconsin State Lottery as our oh. person in the good news. The okay. winner of the Mega Bucks. I'm not familiar with that. Mark Cunningham. He hit for $15.1 million. Oh, well, that's a, that's a chunk of change. The friend, Mr. Mark. Um, <laughs> the interesting part here, though, Ted. He bought the ticket at a store in the town of Luck, Wisconsin. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, I guess that's some good luck. If I can ever buy a lottery ticket, it would be at a city with the name of Luck. I mean, that's that just seems like a win-win. I, I seem to have bought, I don't pay, play the lottery too often. I always seem to buy the tickets in the city of bad luck. Cleveland, this is for you. Another This Week in Cleveland Sports History. Dusty Sloan has joined us. And Dusty, today, an interesting one. Of all the people we could talk to about Brown's history, you obviously are tops. You know a lot about it. What can you tell us about 1948 when the Cleveland Browns defeated the Buffalo Bills 49-7 to in the AAFC Championship game? Well, the 1948 AAFC championship game was the third consecutive championship for the Browns in that league. 22,000 people go out and uh, brave that weather, and the Browns did cover because they were 17-point favors. I'm not sure I'm not sure how the uh, Vegas Lions brought, came up to that in 1948, but they did cover. Close <laughs> um, start for the Browns, 14-0 at halftime, and they scored five touchdowns in the second half. Very typical Browns win back then. Otto Graham, very efficient, 118 yards passing. But Marion Motley carries 14 times for 133 yards and three touchdowns. So 
we were starting to see that big time Browns first championship blueprint of how they were able to get it done with a guy like Otto Graham who could do so many good things well. And then obviously Marion Motley, very tough to bring down. I'm sure was a very rough day to play football back then on December 19th. Oh, I can only imagine is I think at that time, please remind me if I'm incorrect, Dusty, were they playing at Brown stadium at that time? They were not correct. Was that even built at that time? Yep. That was still, that was municipal at that time. Yep. Okay. So 22,000 people, not, not the 70,000 you'd normally see there. But so there must've been some kind of weather issue in the, during that game. Yeah, I would imagine. So any notable players from the bills that maybe some people would, wouldn't recognize the names or anything like that from your research. Well, I'm looking through George Ratterman. I think he was a quarterback for the Browns at one point, but he threw three picks for the bills that day. Um, not, not a lot I'm lo- seeing here on for- unfortunately, they didn't have like starting lineups and things back then. The, the record keeping wasn't that yeah. great. But when you look at the Browns side, obviously it's all the names you recognize: the Lou Groses, the Dub Joneses, the Marion Motleys, the Tony Adamleys. Lou Saban had a pick six. He later was a head coach in the AFL in the '60s. So it, it was all those guys that have Max Speedy. They contributed to all those victories, and it was another big championship win that day. That's just it's a fun time and. You know, you talk to many people that have the opportunity to see those teams and uh, they have the excitement like you have right now of, of how successful they were and and, you know, the joy that they brought at that time. I mean, they were the they were the tops, you know, obviously winning the championship. But at that time, a couple three years series, they really were one of the best teams in the league at that time. Well, you know, Ken, if we can get the Browns to go to a different league than the NFL, maybe we can win championships again. <laughs> That's a good call. Sometimes the way we play, it's like we're playing in another league anyway. So, well, Dusty, thank you so much. Great history lesson from uh, this week in sports history. As we talk about the 1948 Cleveland Browns championship over the Buffalo Bills in the AAFC at 49-7. Dusty, thanks again. Thanks, Ken. Cleveland! This is for you! What? Are you watching, Ken? What are you watching? Do you have any highlights on your DVR, or should I uh, mention a couple? I have one we've been watching. It's from the writer and producer from The Office and Parks and Rec. It's a show called Upload. It's on Amazon. Hmm. Long story short, basically, in this world, you have the option of either just dying normally or being quote unquote uploaded to like a virtual reality life. And so this is the story of this and this gentleman whose girlfriend, there's some kind of issues with this business deal of this other um, type of 3d world that he came up with an idea, but her father doesn't like it because he's a business developer and it's a comedy. It's interesting. Would I choose to watch this? No. A1 likes it. So we've been watching it. We have a few more episodes left. So we're on season two. It's 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 very different and interesting. So upload on and upload. Amazon Prime. Okay. Upload. What do you have for us? Well, I have a couple that are on our DVR and are just kind of odd. And I'll explain. And I think I've made this clear previously. We share our DVR with our in-laws. And so, you know... It's just kind of interesting, some of the things that appear on the DVR. And my mother-in-law has this habit of 
if something's on and she might catch it partway through and she thinks it's interesting, boom, record. Boom, record. Boom. There are 370 items in our DVR right now. <laughs> Let me say that number one more time. 370. Okay. So here are two that caught my wife and I. We talked about this and uh, she agreed that these should uh, be the highlights. So we have Meckham Auto Auctions. This is literally a televised automobile auction. Now it's nice cars, you know. Now we're not in any position to purchase any of these cars. This is the interesting thing. This is recorded multiple times over the weekend by my mother in law. She doesn't drive. So I, this is, I don't know how that works, Ken. Not okay. sure. And then the other show that was on there that was of note was called HP Computer Workshop. Oh. And the, the description read, the show offers expert advice for all the features on premium personal computer packages configured for the home, school, and small business. Now, they're going to give you advice, but she she rarely uses the computer. So again, I, you know, and, and when she case. does, it's it's for bill paying. So they're going to show you how to open and close the web browser and click. I don't. I mean, what are we doing here? I don't know. Very interesting stuff. But I can tell you that uh, when we saw those things, I looked at my wife and I said, "Your mother? What is she watching?" The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. All right, Ken, here it is. A uh, woman who flew United Airlines four years ago and lost her luggage just got it back. Four years. April Gavin was flying back on a uh, business trip uh, back from uh, Chicago. Uh, United Airlines apparently looked for the luggage for, for months and then eventually reimbursed her because they didn't find it. Apparently the bag simply wasn't scanned correctly. It wound up in Honduras and Houston <laughs> before being tracked down. Interestingly, uh, everything in the bag was intact and okay. Probably wow. uh, expired if there were any uh, items that had expiration dates after four years. But, yeah. Got it back. Yeah. A U.K. woman who died of cancer took the time to plan her own wake when she got her diagnosis, and she made sure it was unique. Sandy Wood hired a flash mob to perform at her funeral. Video online shows members of the group flaming feathers, sitting with the somber crowd until the Queen's song, Another One Bites the Dust, starts playing. <laughs> The cabaret performers whip off their funeral attire at that point and sashay to the front of the room. Getting to the lectern, the dancers start clapping and breaking it down in tandem as the crowd looks on in shock. Some attendees were initially appalled, but eventually some of the mourners joined in the dance. The job was so bizarre that 10 other dance groups passed on the 
opportunity. That is absolutely outstanding. I, I just something different, you know, in a somber situation. I, I think that's I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Thousands of patients at a British clinic were notified via text message just before Christmas that they had an aggressive lung cancer. They were notified via text that they had aggressive lung cancer. Reports say about an hour later, another message came from the Askern Medical Practice, and this one read, quote, Please accept our sincere apologies for the previous text message. This has been sent in error. Oh, our message should have read, We wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Oh, my God. Jeez. Oh, God. The, the clinic has not publicly commented since sending out the corrected message. We have no comment. I'm not sure what we they can't say. send the right one out. Yeah. What oh, intern got fired for that one? Yes, all of them. Yes. Sneeze, hachoo. Oops, I clicked send. Uh, well. In sports, congratulations to Guardians manager Terry Francona. He's been ranked the most handsome manager in the American League. <laughs> I love that. Great. Gambling.com did the study using official MLB portraits and an app called the Golden Face Ratio. Uh, sorry, the Golden Ratio Face. The app says it uses facial symmetry, facial structure, and the Golden Ratio, not sure what that is, to calculate the beauty of anyone. Francona, number five in all of baseball amongst managers. Mets manager Buck Showalter was named the most handsome manager in the game. Wow. Congrats to those gentlemen. I always like to be told that you're good looking. I don't hear that yes. very often. I uh, Good for them. I'm, I'm wondering how we would fare on that, but I, I'm not sure <laughs> I want to. <laughs> We're not going to go that route, no. <clears throat> all right. I'm Ted Klopp. That's news to me. Ken, what did the ocean say to the beach? Ocean say to the beach. Not sure. Nothing. It just waved. That joke was horrible. Ken, we're coming to the end of episode number 106. Something I found online the other day that I thought I'd share a few of. Um, interesting yard signs. I realize this is a uh, an audio-only show, but I th there's a few of these we can read. Uh, sure. Wife, wife caught husband cheating. Everything must go yard sale. <laughs> Got that one. Here's another one. No soliciting. We're too broke to buy anything. We know who we're voting for, and we found Jesus. Seriously, and unless you're selling thin mints, go away. I like that one. That's pretty now good. This, this this was one of my favorites. There's a uh, a workout machine in the yard with a sign in front of it. I'm fat and lazy. You still have a chance. Free. <laughs> Here's a uh, security sign. It's uh, one of those uh, bullet things that you you know you shoot at the range. Yeah. There are several holes to the chest and a couple to the head, and it says nothing inside worth dying for. <laughs> These are very uh, clever. And I this like is these. you you know how much my wife likes yard sales or big or time. Sales. Yes. 
I'm going to use this. There's, so this is a sign. It's got a picture of the guy who played the most interesting man in the world in those ads. Oh, yeah, Dos Equis. Yep. And it says, I don't always go to yard sales, but when I do, I turn here. <laughs> that is great. I you, do, you need to do that. That, that is really that cool. Is, that is a fa- favorite of mine. Uh, and uh, I think um, that's a uh, that's a fine place to to stop because that is one of the most interesting signs in this uh, this little article here. So that's very good. Speaking of signs, I forgot to tell you one of my stories from my trip. This is a quick one. So we'll come back to the airport. Obviously, got to pick up the luggage from the uh, the baggage claim area. I'm standing there, and you know how you have those people standing there with signs. You didn't. You, know, you welcomes, didn't. Uh, it didn't take years. Didn't take four years for you to get your luggage, did it? No, no, it was okay. uh, same day. It was okay. same day. All right, good. So you got different signs. And I always like to look, you know, hey, maybe some famous people coming or something like that. <laughs> there was like a Jones and a uh, Williams. And then one of the signs, welcome, Mr. Wiener. Oh. So I turned to A and I said, oh, they're here to pick us up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm the Wiener. What was your what was uh, your wife's reaction to that? I got a laugh out of that one. I actually got okay. a laugh. Yeah. Okay. I, and I was just like so excited, like a ten year old kid. Yep. Oh, that sign says Mr. Wiener. Look at that, Mr. Wiener. Oscar Myers here. Here he is. So, I, yeah. uh, do you know if they uh, picked that uh, gentleman up in the Wiener Mobile? Don't know if Wiener uh, arrived or not. Don't know. Okay. Um, okay. The guy was standing there. I, you could tell that everybody was kind of look at it. Everybody looked. It looked kind of snickered. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. So, so you're saying that the gentleman with the sign for Mr. Wiener waited a long time. Yes, he did. Very okay. Well done, sir. All right. Thank you. Very well done. All right. Well, uh, we've got uh, uh, plenty of uh, stuff coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks. I think we're going to have Jen Brazdovich back on uh, uh, next week. Uh, more uh, Cleveland history. Love talking to John Grabowski. He just knows so much. Oh, ridiculous. Hats off to him. And then also the Mr. Cleveland, Dusty Sloan. Oh, <laughs> some good tidbits. So. Appreciate all those gentlemen, but uh, once again, have a great week. We'll be back here in two weeks. And until then, please remember, we're just two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV. Custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.